0: This is the Wintrust Business Lunch, and on Mondays, we like to spend time with Elise Glink, the owner of Think Glink Media and Best Money Moves. Elise, we're glad you're able to join us again. How are you today?
1: Uh, Things are good, John. You?
0: Uh, Good. And you watched the Super Bowl over the weekend?
1: I did. It was a very exciting finish, and um, I really enjoyed watching Taylor Swift down in one.
0: You really enjoyed watching Taylor Swift what?
1: Down and Did you see her? She took a glass of beer or oh. something and she and her girlfriends all did the down in one.
0: I didn't know that's what it's called, but I did. And I didn't see it, but I heard because that was after the game. Once, <laughs> um, I know it's not polite to eat and run, but the way this is the Super Bowl parties I go to and have hosted in the past, when the game is over, everybody goes, thank you. They're out the door. I mean... They are out the door because they've already been there for four hours. You can't eat or drink anything more. It's time to go home. So that was so I missed that. But uh, yeah, she uh, the over under I was kind of keeping a, a, a non-scientific count on cutaways to her in the game on the on the bracket that I was in or the little betting page was six and a half. And I'm pretty sure I saw her over six and a half times. Um, you know, these separate cutaways. <laughs>
1: what is a half? I wonder what the half-time uh, view of Taylor Swift is. But um, I'll tell you, I'm mean, are in San Francisco this week. And so yesterday, the uh, San Francisco government closed down the area that I'm actually staying in with my son. Uh, 16th Street to 24th Street off of Mission was considered ground. Central, and I was a block away from that. So we left our Super Bowl party halfway through and came back so that we would get in before all of the streets around the neighborhood got shut down.
0: Were they doing that in anticipation of San Francisco maybe winning and then there'd be a celebration? I don't suppose there was a need for everybody heading out into the streets after the game this time.
1: Well, you know what? It's interesting, John. I mean, think about when uh, people lose big sporting events. They seem to get even wilder than when they win. But I will tell you that around the whole neighborhood that we're staying in, there were fireworks going off. Uh, people were partying and having a good time. And I think they were just thrilled to be in the Super Bowl yep. after all these years.
0: Yep. That's what my wife said to me at the towards the end of the game. She said, you know, as tragic as this loss is going to be for one of these teams and coaches, they're in the Super Bowl so let's not feel too sorry for anybody here let's talk about the housing shortage that you say is going to be with us for a while i guess i'm not surprised but what are you looking at elise
1: well the national housing council has uh, continued to hammer home this idea that we are somewhere between three and five million units short in this country Uh, that's echoed by research from the national association of realtors and the mortgage bankers and you know basically the whole housing industry and what the national housing council has said is that it took us 15 or 17 years to get into this situation starting all the way back in 2008 and 2009 when we had the housing crisis and for many many years you know we talked about this there literally were way too many houses and not enough buyers even though interest rates were down at three percent or even below now the, the whole thing is flipped and we've got higher interest rates, higher demand, much higher prices and a real shortage that could also take 15 years for us to work our way out of. And so they really are just talking about how the shortage of housing, both in renting and in buying you know, to own, um, how it's really affecting prices for people.
0: You mentioned that the housing stock took 12 years to get in this hole. It's not going to suddenly build itself back up overnight. So even though interest rates have dropped, we're gonna see, I guess, pretty steady home prices. Is that the read on that, Elise?
1: What low interest rates do for home builders is it helps them get over the hump a little bit of high land costs and high cost of actually building. You know, we don't have enough people in the construction industry, right? And we've talked about this. So if you don't have people who can build and know how to build houses, and it's very hard to get financing for that, you know you're never going to get enough new housing built so we have to find a way to um, figure out how to how, how work our way through where you can buy the land that's needed or uh, you know put those parcels together for a city in city kind of a situation and then bring in the financing that allows builders to do something and then you're fighting the Mindy not in my backyard mentality which in san francisco where i am today it's sort of interesting where there, there's a real we don't want building going on here and you could argue that the whole bay area is probably by itself a half a million to a million units short and so you see things like the homelessness increasing here dramatically like it is in chicago and other places but here because there really aren't enough homes for people to live in even renters that are affordable, that are anywhere near where the jobs are. And so people end up living on the street or in their cars, um, and it overwhelms city systems. And so we have to find ways to really impact this housing shortage because it bleeds into so much else uh, of the way that we live and we work.
0: I'm seeing, um, according to Redfin, that the average rent is $1,964 a month, up 1.1% year over to year. So in January, you paid $1,964 a month on rent, right?
1: Well, that's the median asking rent. So uh, that's flattened out a bit, right? It jumped up dramatically during the pandemic because people wanted to leave where they were and they wanted to get to other places.
0: That sounds like a lot to me um, as it is, Elise. $1,900. Yeah. Is that not a lot? I mean, Well, I...
1: it is. No, no. It's huge. And it's unaffordable for a huge amount amount of people. I I think that's the important part is that the median income cannot afford the median asking rent in the U.S. in almost any major metropolitan area. Mm. So you're right. It's a lot. And it's getting higher every single year. And that's problematic.
0: Talk to me about tax season. I know you were looking a little bit about uh, people who move to save on their taxes. Is that right?
1: It is. So one of the reasons people leave the state of Illinois is uh, the taxes, right? We have high property taxes relative to some places. We, you know, charge a state income tax. And you would think that when you've got enough money, like you're the second or third richest person in the world, it wouldn't matter. But the numbers just get so much bigger so last year bezos uh, jeff bezos amazon uh announced on instagram that he was leaving seattle after 30 years to move to miami to be near his parents but was that really the reason couldn't his parents have moved to where he was as opposed I and mean, he probably had an extra house or two for them but it turns out that in 2022 washington state imposed a new 7 percent capital gains tax on sales of stocks or bonds of more than $250,000. Bezos announced that he was going to unload 50 million shares of Amazon before the end of January next year. Moving to Florida saves him $610 million, or maybe more if the price of Amazon stock keeps going up. <sighs>
0: I'm trying to figure out what to make of that. I wonder if, therefore, the state of Washington says, okay, we made a mistake, or um, there's only one Jeff Bezos, and he's an anomaly, and they they still like the idea of taxing those um, higher-wealth individuals.
1: Well, I, you know, I have uh, kind of mixed feelings. Like, I'm like everybody else. I don't want to pay a lot in taxes, and you know, an extra 7% in capital gains is is significant, right? However, uh, you know, how do we pay for all the services that we need in the state? How do we build the affordable housing we were just talking about that we need? How do we upgrade our electrical grid so that it doesn't go out, you know, and we don't have a brownout or a blackout with climate change, like what's going on in Texas? How do we pay for the road repairs that we need so we're not driving through potholes all the time? Like, there's just things that the state needs to pay for. And those costs are getting more expensive too. And so it's a real conundrum how we pay for the world that we want to live in um, and still manage to keep as much as we can of the money we've worked hard to earn. But I'm just amazed that somebody worth billions, I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars would move to save 600 million. That just You know, maybe he was moving to be near his mom after
0: all. Well, maybe that's and maybe that says something about the wisdom of Florida's taxes. Or maybe if you if you have so much money, you can pay 600 million in taxes. Then you obviously have several billions still left. Uh, But uh, boy, 600 million is a lot of money. Uh, Talk to me about this. Men and women hold different jobs. There was a graph that came out that showed what the gender is specific to certain Industries or jobs in the workforce. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. So, women overall represent about 47% of the workforce, men are about 53%. The jobs that have the highest share of female workers, I don't think this will surprise anybody listening. Skin care specialists, almost 100% are women. Preschool kindergarten t- teachers, 96.7% female. Legal secretaries and admin, 96.4%, dental hygienists, speech langu- language pathologists, 94, 95% are all women. For men, construction equipment operators, pipe layers, brick masons, block masons, and stone masons, bus and truck mechanics, logging workers, all of those 98% or higher are men. And it's just interesting how that has kind of, I don't know, evolved or not evolved.
0: You know, the only one that uh, maybe surprises me a little bit, or I would say, gee, we really ought to do something about that, is preschool and kindergarten teachers. Ninety-seven percent of them are female, and I think those kids would benefit greatly if they were more in the company of men, you know, just because it's a diverse world and I'm not saying men are better or women are better. I'm just saying that's that's too bad that men don't go to um, those all important positions. And I think it's good for the kids. As you know, hopefully it would be satisfying for the the teachers as well.
1: Yeah, I think when you move into the higher levels of schooling, even grade school, you see a much more equal balance of male female. It's, women are still a higher ratio for teachers. But as you move older and older into, you know, students get older and older. So uh, grade school, grammar school um, into high school and then college, it evens out uh, much more dramatically. And then I think it flips over and men take over and become in college and graduate school uh, more male professors than female, although it's still relatively equal. But yes, in the lower ages, it would be great if we had more male kindergarten teachers and preschool teachers and Um, It's unfortunate that we don't.
0: One last category that was interesting is uh, jobs that, in fact, reflect the overall workforce. So if it's 47% female and 53% men, what industries have 47% of the employees are female and 53% are men? You've got that list too, right?
1: Yeah, project management specialists, which is great, especially in a technology world that's a high-paying job. Actors, pretty equally split, male-female, food service managers, management analysts, and here's that thing you're asking about, post-secondary school teachers, all split about 50-50.
0: Just a little more men than women, but reflecting of the workforce overall. Elise Glink joins us on Mondays about this time. Nice to talk to you today, Elise Thanks for the information. Sounds good, John, you bet. On the Wintrust Business Lunch, we're talking to Jim Dahlke, the national editor at American Inno. Thanks for joining us again, Jim. How are you today? Hey, John, doing great. Thanks for having me. It seems to be mandatory when you put a guest on the radio today. You say, well, did you watch the game? Because that's just kind of a chatty thing, and I'd hate for you to have a wonderful story and then me miss it. So do you have anything for me?
2: <laughs> you know, I did watch the game. Uh, you know, it was. Uh, I'm caught up in the... Th- if at all I, I love it I think she's she's great for football I'm a big football fan uh was thrilled to to kind of follow along with the storyline and uh, hey we got we got a good football game last night
0: so you guys have a story that says the Super Bowl and Ash Wednesday fall on the same week for the first time since 2008 uh, why is that of note to you all today
2: well, that's of note because we have a, a startup in Chicago. Uh, it's a it's a religious startup. It's, it's a Catholic app, uh, meditation, prayer. Um, the startup is called Hallow, and it actually had a Super Bowl ad that ran last night. So uh, it's not every year that we have a Chicago startup, you know, paying the big bucks to take uh, part in the Super Bowl and have a, a commercial during the big game. But that's exactly what Hallow did. Um, uh, they had a a, a partnership with Mark Wahlberg, so he was their front man for their 30-second ad that ran during the Super Bowl last night. Uh, 30-second ads going for around $7 million. They uh, likely paid less than that. They were airing in just 14 major markets, so that included Chicago. So they weren't a a totally national ad, but still, certainly that's a big chunk of change for a venture-backed startup. But this is a company that just last year raised a fifty million dollar uh, venture funding round. So they clearly earmarked some of that money for a big marketing swing here at the Super Bowl. Um, Hallow, you know, has been downloaded ten million times even before. Uh, it uh, hit the big stage last night. So certainly, I know they've really taken off, and uh, they say they're the number one Catholic app in the world now with their app that offers some audio-guided prayers, sleep meditations, Bible readings, things like that. So uh, certainly interesting that, uh, you know, a Chicago startup is taking a big swing like that for the Super Bowl.
0: I didn't see that ad. That wasn't the Jesus ad, right? No, that was not. So this ad that they
2: ran last night was kind of centered around Mark Wahlberg, uh, you know, kind of encouraging folks to use the Halo
0: app. I'm reading from your story here. When we found the Super Bowl was going to fall on the same Sunday before Ash Wednesday, we were thrilled. Um, folks who might not otherwise have encountered the prayer will use the app," uh, said Alex Jones, co-founder and CEO of Hallow. <laughs> um, when I saw Alex Jones there, my, the name kind of jumps out, doesn't it? Different Alex Jones. Uh, the idea. Yeah,
2: has, different. Yeah, different Alex Jones. But, um, yeah, you know, we've had a chance to connect with those guys. And, um, you know, they really feel like they've, they've plugged into something. You know, this app is, is similar, you know, uh, to, to the Calm app or the Headspace yeah, app. But yeah. It's really kind of religious focused.
0: Bracketology brings fantasy sports to reality television. What's this story?
2: Yeah, another new consumer startup here in Chicago that we've have been tracking. They just launched uh, in, in January. Bracketology is basically a fantasy football app for reality TV. They've created kind of this fantasy app that you can you know, play in conjunction with reality TV shows as they're airing. And so The Bachelor was one that, uh, that, that works with their app. And basically what you can do with the Bracketology app is you know, play with strangers or play with friends, and um, you know within the app you can uh, you know guess of which contestants are going to be eliminated next or who's going to make it to the end, and you kind of gamify the whole reality TV experience. Sounds kind of funny, but uh, you know with the launch uh, of the Bachelor premiere uh, earlier this year, they saw about twenty five thousand downloads and really skyrocketed up the iPhone App Store charts so some really nice momentum for uh, this startup that's taking a pretty interesting approach to people's rabid obsession with reality tv
0: if you win on that bracket do you get money is there a prize for this or is it just a way to interact
2: it's a way to interact right now it's a free-to-play app so it really just a chance to kind of get your buddies together now that's not to say that uh you know if you and i were in a group together john and we decided just like we do with our fantasy football league we want to uh, you know charge a buy-in and pay out somebody at the end. We can certainly do that, but um, yeah, it's a free-to-play app.
0: I think that's a really good idea. I don't watch these reality shows, but people are kind of doing that anyway. If you could find a way to make brackets out of it or say, okay, who's going to get kicked off of the island next? Um, I think people would enjoy that. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it?
2: I think so too. It, it, it's it's a companion to to you know these shows that are already super popular and. You know, it's not just The Bachelor. I mean, Netflix has any number of similar type reality TV that you can plug into. And they develop these rabid fan bases, which you find actually with another Chicago startup called Cameo. You know, lots of uh, people who, who run on these shows and perform on these shows uh, end up going on Cameo, charging people a couple bucks for celebrity shout outs. Um, and so what you find there is that these, these there are these really rabid niche fan bases for this, for shows that, you know, you maybe have never even heard of before. Uh, But nevertheless, they have these very engaged fans, and Bracketology, the Chicago startup, is I think really taking advantage of that by plugging into those communities and giving them an even deeper way to to connect with their favorite reality TV shows.
0: Mm -hmm. This sort of segues to another story you guys had about a business called Gigastar. What's that?
2: Yeah, Gigastar, another interesting uh, startup that's taking an approach here in the creator economy. Essentially, what Gigastar is able to do is it helps YouTube creators access funding um, by opening up what they call drops, which are essentially public offerings and let it, which it lets investors, you know, invest money into these YouTube stars in exchange for potential revenue down the line. So basically, you could invest in an up and coming YouTube star, kind of you know, put some money into this creator during one of these drops that has a 21 day window, and then down the road, if they become uh, very successful and they, their videos get lots of views, you are then getting a revenue share then on a percentage of their business. So uh, basically it's a way for, you know, you to kind of uh, invest in, you know, the future YouTube stars of tomorrow. So this uh, is a startup gigastar, which just raised $3 million of its own to, continue to grow its business. And it's raised uh, nearly $8 million since uh, 2022.
0: Well, was there an app or site? Wasn't that kind of what GoFundMe did for businesses, right? I'd, here's my idea. You can help me fund it, get it going, and then you get a a percent or something like that. Wasn't there something like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, but what these guys are doing is, you know, invest, investing into the YouTube creators directly. So it's, you know, it's not like you're giving into a business. You're kind of just putting it directly into sort of one person. Right. So now this YouTube yeah. creator could use that investment to maybe buy better lighting and better staging and better equipment on their end. You know, and make their, uh, you know, per, their, their their content even better, and then hopefully generate a return for that investor down the road.
0: Mm. Interesting story and stories, and you can find them, as always, at uh, American Inno or actually ChicagoInno.com is how we punch it up here. Jim Dahlke is the national editor at American Inno. Okay, Jim, good to talk to you again today. Thanks for your help. Thanks, John. Steve Grazanich has got more business news. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business
3: news of the day. A Chicago startup giving YouTube creators access to funding and strategic investors has announced new funding. Gigastar raised $3 million, bringing its total fundraising since 2022 to $8 million. Gigastar bills itself as the only investment platform focused on providing investors access to the creator economy. YouTube creators on the platform can offer a percentage of their channel's future revenue during a public offering. Chicago Inno says Gigastar has raised $1.2 million so far for creators, with more than 12,000 investor accounts registered. Chicago Unicorn Kin Insurance has raised $15 million in new funding it'll use to accelerate growth. Kin Insurance is a direct-to-consumer home insurance business that helps homeowners find coverage without the need for an agent. It currently operates in eight states and serves about 115,000 policyholders. The company says it had positive net income in 2023 and increased revenue by more than 50%. Kin reached unicorn status after raising $1 billion. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Trust
0: Business Minute. Time for the business of food. Here's Steve Alexander.
4: Thank you. And if you're nursing a Super Bowl food hangover today...
0: I can't believe I ate the whole thing.
4: <laughs> well, no wonder. A survey says on average we ate more than 8,000 calories at our parties yesterday, 53 million pounds of guac, which brings me to this woman. Uh, you grow avocados?
5: Yes, we do. We have 150 acres.
4: Who she is and where she farms and whether avocados are a vegetable or a fruit. After I thank the Chevy Silverado and Chevy Drive Chicago for sponsoring us today. There's never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. Okay, that guacamole you had yesterday was probably made from avocados that came from Mexico or South America because California's harvest is just about ready to get started. And we rarely get any California avocados in Chicago.
5: Because the demand here on the West Coast is so strong.
4: On the phone is...
5: Rachel Lainan, and I'm the Director of Farming and Operations for Kimball Ranches El Hogar.
4: She farms avocados northwest of L.A. in Ventura County. And let's get this out of the way, Rachel. Avocados are a fruit?
5: (laughs) Yeah, same like tomatoes, but you wouldn't put it in your cereal.
4: (laughs) Uh, No, I would not. And they grow on trees that are how big?
5: 20, 30 feet
4: tall. And how many trees do you have?
5: Upwards of 20,000 trees.
4: And how many avocados come from one tree?
5: Up to 100 pounds per tree, which usually equates to about 200 pieces of fruit.
4: How long do the trees last?
5: 40, 50, 60 years is totally
4: normal. Rachel says avocados are all picked by hand. Yes. And just like farmers in the Midwest, avocado farmers are having trouble getting workers too.
5: Labor is definitely an issue that's facing agriculture nationwide.
4: And the avocados that are in our stores, Rachel, uh, how long has it been since they were on the tree?
5: If they're coming from Mexico, Mexico, I would say a week or so from coming off of the tree.
4: But if they're from South America,
5: those have to come by sea freight two or three weeks before they even land here in the U.S.
4: Oh, and one more thing, Rachel, those avocados in the store are often hard as a rock. Any hints on speeding up the process?
5: Unfortunately, To get the best flavor in an avocado, you have to allow it to ripen completely naturally.
4: Darn, Rachel Lainan, an avocado farmer on a ranch in Southern California. Kimbleavocados.com for more info, including ordering them by mail. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Deborah Bylinski is
0: the owner of Delightful Pastries in Jefferson Park. Deborah, it's John, and you're on the air. How are you?
6: I'm fabulously well. I want to take over the world. I'm doing so well besides losing my voice but otherwise doing fantastically That's fabulous the punch keys are smiling it's they're coming out gorgeous they're poofing beautifully the fillings are just delicious I'm like you know putting a spoon in everything uh, in every filling making sure that they're coming out all right and uh, my mom is coming over and stealing my punch key she's on her fourth punch trick today so you know what uh, always good and always good in in my universe how are you <laughs> Do I have too much energy? Am I too much like a ping-pong? Bouncing <coughs> around for you guys?
0: I figured I that you'd be exhausted. I, like. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd be exhausted because, I and maybe you are sounding exhausted, because you've got like to get everything ready for tomorrow, right? You
6: know, we've been doing this since the first week of January. We've been prepping the punch key the glazes, the fillings, the, the fudges, the custards. You know all, all the all the passion for jam that we make from scratch, we make our own glaze for the punch key we've been making our coconut pecan fillings, the German chocolate cake filling so we've been we've been getting ready. This has been a long time in coming. finally, we're just finishing everything off, so we're so excited actually, I love it. it's a great energy. people are happy. it's mardi Gras it's punch Key day or fact Tuesday or as the French say, laissez les bon. T'enrouler. And you can just roll into my bakery, and we've got lemon moonshine punch we've got Jameson punchki, and my favorite, my mom's favorite today was the 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 of the day is the German chocolate cake, uh, German chocolate cake ponchek. Mine is the espresso custard and the strawberry whipped cream.
0: Deborah Bylinski is the owner of Delightful Pastries. It's in Jefferson Park. And... Yeah,
6: so which one would you like to try?
0: Okay, well, so I have a question about the German chocolate one. Is that a filling is German chocolate, or is the dough a German chocolate?
6: No, it's the filling. So you know how you make a German chocolate cake? You you cook, uh, it, take custard, and you cook the coconut and pecan filling, yeah. and then you put it inside the cake. So I did a riff on that. So I took a check. I took a check and I cut it in half, and I put the pecan, coconut filling in the middle, and then we just kind of took a chocolate and we kind of just a little drizzle on top. So it's my ode to German chocolate cake because everybody loves it. What is the also, best you know, selling? It,
0: what is the best selling one year So e- the y-
6: whipped cream, whipped cream and strawberry custard and chocolate, and and the Jameson and the and custard. So I do three drunken ones. I do Kentucky moonshine. Somebody brought me some moonshine from Kentucky in Mason jars, so I did a lemon custard with that. And I do a vodka, because, you know, I'm Polish. So I have to do something Polish. So I did a vodka and vanilla bean custard. And then my best friend is Irish, and my brother loves uh, Jameson. So I decided to do chocolate custard and Jameson whiskey. So for all of you Irish, Polish people out there, we have a ponczak for you've,
0: so, you've got about 40,000 of them you think you're going to sell over the next few days?
6: Uh, listen, so it's over the whole week. Like, for today, we had about 3,500 uh, on order for today. Uh, I for tomorrow we had some on order but I stopped counting after a while because I just couldn't keep up with the orders so uh, we, we ha- but there's a ton of people walking in so you know besides just what we have on order we have to make additional items for sale in the store so we have to have thousands and thousands of punch key ready because you know we've already um, we've already done at least uh, seven or eight thousand punch keys mm. in the store in the storefront today at least, so, you know, it's that entire week of Mardi Gras, like we're open for Super Bowl Sunday. And so people were ordering, you know, the their guys that were had their, you know, their, in the man caves watching the Super Bowl with yeah. the drunken punchki. Okay. So a lot of people had parties Wait, so, and that's so how, you know.
0: The punchki is a, a, a Polish pastry, not a donut. It's denser, as I understand it. But do so, they do they celebrate or, or sell punchkis in other cities in America or is this a Chicago phenomenon?
6: It's a Chicago phenomenon. We only have Punchy Day in, in in Chicago. The other cities have a Tuesday or Mardi Gras. You know, I feel that, you know what, in Chicago, it's kind of like we have, uh, we're, we're Chicagans, we've kind of added the Polish culture to to the Chicago culture. Sure. We've kind of embraced it, and we're very proud of it. And I think it makes us stand out because when people come from other cities, they're like, oh, we've never heard of a bunch Day. So it makes us very proud to be very different. And to embrace, you know, the the ethnicities that live and make Chicago an amazing city, you
0: know. So, do I presume some of the other bakeries in town do Punchkies as well?
6: Yeah, the fake ones. Yes, they make donuts all year long, and then on, and then they change the name. And on on Day, they just call their donut a ponchek. And I'm going to tell you what the difference is. Okay. When you make a donut, mm. you make it for the filling. the 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 dough flattens out, and the dough is made out of water, yeast. Salt, flour, a little bit of sugar, maybe some flavors. But a pomsky dough is made with butter, milk, rum, vanilla bean, orange oil, lemon oil, uh, it's eggs, egg yolks. Those things are not found in donuts. Polish people eat pomsky dough for the dough, not for the filling. It's the opposite. When you when you when you break into our punch, you can smell the delicious lemon oil, orange oil. When you bite into it, the dough doesn't collapse; it rises back up again. So you know. Also, we use delicious. You know, we use Belgian chocolate in our custard and our Jameson punch tea. Uh, we use Belgian uh, bittersweet Belgian chocolates, uh, for example, in our um, in our vanilla bean. Uh, uh, custard. We use vanilla beans from Nielsen Matthews Vanilla. It's an amazing vanilla bean company here in, in uh, Waukegan. I don't get paid to say anything like that, but they're just doing an amazing job. Yeah. Uh, for example, our raspberry preserves have no starch, cornstarch in them. They're at pectin base. It's a wonderful company in Chicago that makes it for us. Our plum butter comes straight from Poland. And it's nice and tart and just delicious. So, you know what? Uh, we make our own passion for jelly uh, filling. All the custards we make from scratch. So, you know, when you say, uh, what, what makes a plum check, It's like really, it's made from scratch. It's not out of a bag. All the fillings are really interesting and fun. And our whipped cream and strawberry, it's a real whipped cream. You know what mm-hmm. the Germans called Schlage? You know, that whipped cream, that thick cream. That's what we've got on our punch can. People are like, "Oh my God, it tastes so delicious." Listen, I had somebody in my baking class on Saturday. She was orgasming. I thought she was having an epileptic fit, and she was because she was banging on the table and she was like <laughs> bringing up her foot up and down. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, Janice She's like, oh my God. Cobra. Oh, I said, you know, I should have videotaped this because it was, I, I was laughing so hard. I literally started choking up. We had I, tears coming out of our eyes Gobra, because she
0: loved it so much. Gobra Bailenski so is the owner of Delightful Pastries in Jefferson Park. You can order them yes. online or do I call? Deborah? how do I get them?
6: You, you know, so, you know what? You just come and walk in. Okay. At this point in time, we're only doing walk-ins. Okay. You know, the, the, the time for placing orders has passed, but you can come in today because it's nice and quiet. Tomorrow it's going to be a little bit crazy. But you know the great thing about our bakery, no. we make them. We make punch tea all year long. We just don't make them for. We don't. <laughs> unlike other places, only make she it for we Deborah. make We make punch tea all year long, all right. darling. And br- can you come over and say hello, and then we'll do a taste test with, with you and me, and you'll we'll, we'll, you'll get to pick your favorite.
0: Actually, after the okay. show, I am heading north today. So if it is uh, humanly possible, I'm going to swing I'm by. Here till, you, you are I'm there here till
6: 10 o'clock at night.
0: I believe I'm that. A, I'm waiting to stop by. Deborah Bylinsky is the owner of Delightful Pastries in Jefferson Park. The address is 5927 West Lawrence Avenue. What a delight. Congratulations on the success of the business. <laughs> Have a great week.
6: Thank you for letting me be my bouncy and happy self on your talk show. And I hope you come over and we'll have a cappuccino and we'll have some delicious ponchki. And you'll get to pick the favorite. And then you'll you'll become ponchki famous. How's that?
0: It's the easiest interview I've ever done. Okay. Thank you. I will see you soon. And have a great week. Again, DelightfulPastries.com is their website.